Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is informed that Lazarus is sick. Yet when he learns of this, he intentionally remains where he is and allows him to die. Jesus knew he would soon raise Lazarus from the dead, but allowed him to die so that others would believe in Jesus and grow in their faith. Many times, Jesus allows troubles and difficulties in our lives so we too may grow in our faith in him. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 11 and continue to study this incredible account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas, and hopefully y'all are just uh, loving on Jesus, just spending time with Jesus. We talk about it every teaching. Um, there's just, there's nothing in our lives that's going to help us or benefit us, um, edify us more than spending more and more time with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, last time we, um, we did, uh, we started John chapter 11 and we got through 10 verses. I don't know how far we'll get today. I was looking at a breaking point, which is a clear breaking point at 16, but we'll see how far we get. Um, good 11 verses last time. Just, I mean, it was solid. Um, just, just really enjoying, uh, you know, studying, you know, the material and, uh, you know, it's, it's what we do. We, we study the scriptures with a heart to understand them and, and to apply them to our lives. So when, when we study this incredible chapter on Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, like every other scripture in the Bible, we want to, we want to understand that it's not just here to give us a, uh, an encouraging history lesson, right? It's here to instruct us. It's here to teach us. Romans 15, four says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us. Um, it's not just written to give us a fun or interesting story of what happened 2000 years ago and how Jesus worked in the man, in the life of this man, Lazarus, as well as Mary and Martha and the other people we'll see in the story. Um, certainly it gives us that information, but when we look into this, we want to see what is in here to teach us or instruct us to, in, to encourage us. Hebrews 13, eight says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in principle, since he's the same, we all have, you know, countless different circumstances. However, how Jesus acts in our circumstances by principle, as we see here, is how he acts in our lives, right? Um, and so when we, when, we, when we work through the scriptures, we want to look into them and again, see the application that it has for, for us and our lives. Um, and again, that's, that's why it's there. Otherwise we just turn the Bible into a, into a history book and to learn what happened 2000 years ago. And, you know, 
we're a little better off than learning American history or, or any other history. So um, the scripture is is meant to be about 1% history book and 99% taking what we, we, we read and meditate on and understand. And again, applying it to our lives, obeying it, repenting when we, uh, you know, when and where we fall short. So, well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and <clears throat> your favor and your goodness on our lives. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study your word and to meditate on your word and to, and to teach your word. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, sinless life for us and dying such a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right, so last time we got through verse 10 in John chapter 11. And so I'm just going to read for now. I'm going to read, uh, um, I'm going to start out in reading in, in, in verse 8, and I'm going to go to uh, 16. Maybe I'll go a little farther. So verse 8, John 11. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. <clears throat> so Jesus is going to go to where Lazarus is. Um, he's been he's been notified by uh, Mary and Martha that that Lazarus is sick. He's explained to them that it won't end in death. Verse nine, Jesus answered, "Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles." For he has no light. And we talked about what that means as far as we only have so much light. We have so much life that we're given. Um, we we have, if you're alive today, you still have daylight. And you have time to do the work of Christ that he sent you to do. Um, all of us as Christians and all of us are called to be Christians in the entire world. All of us are called to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. And then from there, we're called to live for him. We don't get saved from our sin by anything we do. We don't get saved from our sin by living for Christ. We live for Christ because we love him because he did save us, because he gave his life for us, and we love him, and we want to please him. But salvation from sin going to heaven when we die, coming into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all that happens by the grace of God, by putting our faith and trust and reliance and confidence in Jesus Christ alone, again, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. So are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. So again, um, if you're alive today, you still have daylight and you have time to do the work that the Lord has given you to do. Um, and it's, it's a reference also to what Jesus is saying is nothing's going to happen to us before our time, 
right? He knew he was headed toward, toward the cross. He knew he was headed to die for sinful humanity. And nothing was going to happen to him before that set time. Uh, you know, they mentioned in verse 8 that, that he had, uh, you know, they had just tried to kill him at the end of the previous chapter. They tried to stone him again. And it wasn't his time, so he just, you know, he walks away from him, and it, it doesn't happen. And we spoke about in previous teachings how remarkable it is that Jesus goes about in just absolute peace. Jesus goes about without fear, and yet consistently now they're trying to take his life, um, and he's not worried about it. And so it's he's, he's making the point that, you know, nothing is going to happen before it's time. But yet, while we still have opportunity, while we're still alive, while we still have the light of the world and the light of the Spirit of God in this life, we have to do the work of Christ. Um, because when night comes, when we leave this earth, when we die, that time to be able to serve and to do the work of Christ on this earth will have ended, right? So now he moves into verse 11, and he says, and it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Often the word sleep is used in the scriptures to describe our natural death. When we die, when our bodies die and, and, and we leave this world and go into the next world. If, if we're in Jesus Christ, if we have genuinely received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we're trusting in him and relying on him and we have our our confidence in him, we're clinging to him for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, then we'll go to heaven um, and spend eternity in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we are not, then we spend eternity separated from the triune God, regrettably in hell. And, and that's what the scriptures teach. We say this all the time. I, I know that sounds terribly harsh, but it's the plain, unambiguous teaching of the scripture. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're not being intolerant when we say this. We're trying to, to reason and be the most loving people that we can be. Does that make sense? If if the Bible is unambiguous and clear as it is, that it's only in Jesus Christ that you can be forgiven of your sin and ultimately go to heaven when you die, then the most loving thing we do or we can do is to desperately share with all humanity 
their need for Christ so that they too can be forgiven of their sin and go to heaven when they die. So again, it's 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 in no way intolerant. It's the it's the opposite. It's incredibly loving. Now I wish every human being. I was I was talking to the Lord this morning. I, I don't know, it was around five thirty in the morning, I guess, and uh, just saying, you know, Lord, I, I wish everyone was saved. I wish everyone got to go to heaven. I wish I wish everyone just got to uh, to, to to be in heaven and no one had to suffer in hell and. You know, I didn't really hear anything. I didn't hear any answers from the Lord, but, uh, you know, I went on to tell him, I, you know, I don't make the rules. And so we'll just, we have to continue on with what we're told to do in the scriptures and the word of God and, and the truth of the scriptures. So when, when we share that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only reason that we do that as as loving ministers of Christ, as loving Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And as a side note, we're all ministers. We're not all paid ministers, but we're all called to be ministers. When we share this, it's because we don't want to see anyone perish, right? 2 Peter 3.9 says it's, it's, it's God's will that no one perish. 1 Timothy 2.4 says he wants all men and women to be saved, right? Um, and that can only happen in Jesus. In Jesus' own words, he said he's the only way. And either that's true or it's not. And if it's not true, then Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, um, as C.S. Lewis said, if his words are not true. But when you study the Gospels, you don't come away, not for one instant, that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic. You come away believing that he is who he says he is. That the most reasonable explanation is that he is who he says he is. He's God. He's Lord. And because he's Lord, we believe what we say. And because he is the only way, that's why we lovingly share that. So I hope that makes sense. Um, again, we live in a culture where we're now countless millions of people somehow believe to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is intolerant. And it's that, that, that's absurd. And we're even in a place now where a growing number of ministers are, are unwilling to say the very plain things that the Bible teaches. And this is the one that's of the utmost importance. Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay. Now, again, there are all there are a myriad of reasons why people don't believe this. Ultimately, they don't want to believe it. Okay. But it's because they don't understand who Jesus really is. You cannot put Jesus with any other historical figure ever, 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 be it biblical or, or not in the Bible, right? It can be any other individual in the Bible. Or, you know, what do, I, what do I mean? Moses, incredible man of God. David, incredible man of God. Abraham, incredible man of God. Elisha, incredible man of God. Um, Elijah, um, you know, John the Baptist. Name it, Daniel. Um, you know, the, just the incredible, incredible men and women of God who walked the earth. And, and any of the other ones, and, and, uh, whether it be Muhammad or Buddha, or, or, or any other, uh, you know, um, Gandhi, 
incredible, you know, or, 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 or man or woman of God that walked the earth, right? Or moral man or woman of God that walked the earth. You cannot put them in the same sentence with Jesus Christ. Those are all human beings. Jesus is fully God who became fully man to die on the cross for the sins of all humanity. So, you know, I'm hammering this home so we can get in our head our responsibility as Christians. Uh, right, Peyton? And, and, and the necessity for us to continue to share with a, a completely, you know, a world that doesn't want it. I was going to say an ungrateful world. It's beyond that. They're irritated with it. And I'll say again, the only reason for us to do it is because we we want to see the mercy of God come to them and, f- and to be forgiven of their sins in Jesus Christ and to ultimately go to heaven when they die. And so that's why we do these things. After he had said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously he's talking here about uh, he's using uh, sleep as a as a metaphor for death. Um, and when he says he's going to go wake him up again, this is going to be the most. Again, every every miracle Jesus did is incredible, but this one is just uh, this one has ramifications that that are really um, that are really otherworldly, so to speak, even though all miracles are again, he's going to have to call his spirit and soul back, right, from paradise um, and uh, and put it back in his body. And again, it's just another one of the, the countless evidences that Jesus Christ is God. Side note, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. You know, um, the vast majority of the world is in a spiritual sleep. You know, we're just, we're just walking dead, you know, I'm not trying to be funny there. You know, it's, we're asleep on our feet. Sadly, everyone thinks they know something or they have an opinion about God. That's why we have a Bible. That's why we do these things. We have a Bible, y'all, because we don't get an opinion. Heaven is not a democracy. There is no vote. We have a triune God. Three separate beings, all God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They've given us the word of God so that by faith we study it, we believe it, we read it, we apply it to our lives, we repent where we fall short, and we teach others to do that until Jesus comes. Um, But the vast majority of the world and even the majority of the church is asleep. And... And we need Jesus to wake us up, you know, to wake us up. And and only Christ can wake us up, beginning with our salvation, right? If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this day, okay, then you can, you can do it now, all right? How do you become a Christian? A Christian is someone who, first of all, understands their need of Christ, they agree with the scriptures where the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all human beings are sinful and fall short of, of God's standard. 
they believe they're sinful. They know they've done wrong things. They have wrong thoughts. They say wrong words. They do wrong things. Every rational, reasonable person knows they've done wrong morally. That's called sin in the Bible. The Bible is utterly clear that because of our sin, we're separated from God and we need a savior. And there's nothing we can do to take away our sin. Almost every other religion in the world has this idea of a works-based righteousness. They're going to try to do enough good things to offset the bad they know they've done. And they, they're going to, when they stand before God, they have this concept in their mind of some kind of scale that God's going to put their good on the left side of the scale and their bad on the right. And they hope the good outweighs the bad and the Lord lets them in. Uh, nowhere is this concept taught and, and, and nowhere is this a reality. Not in this world or the next does good take away bad. Good doesn't take away bad. As I've said before, if we murder someone in the state of Texas, we'll spend life in prison or be executed regardless of how much good we have done. If I blow through a red light on the street and the policeman pulls me over, I can't say, but officer, I didn't run the last 50. I mean, I obeyed the last 50. I was good. What would he say? It wouldn't matter. All the good I did in obeying the law and stopping at the last 50 red lights, that good would not take away this violation. And I would get a ticket um, and I would have to pay that ticket, pay the debt to society for that ticket because good doesn't take away bad. And the same thing, all of our good works don't take away our sin. If good could take away bad, we wouldn't need Jesus. Right? Um, if good could take away bad, we wouldn't need Jesus. And, you know, we could do it ourselves and in our own pride. And we could just, you know, we could, we could go around Jesus Christ and the whole Jesus becoming a man, God becoming a man, living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us would be unnecessary. Right? We could just do it ourselves. We could just do enough good to take away bad. So that's why we need Christ, okay? Because we're hopeless, we're desperate. We need to be woken up, right? Spiritually. When you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and, and gives you eternal life, resurrection life. You become a you become spiritually alive. You become born again spiritually, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. And now you're awake, right? And then as Christians, we, you know, we still, for the most part, walk around, you know, you know, half asleep. We need to be woken up seemingly daily to, to, uh, to really understand and focus on the fact that, that our lives are meant to be about Walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, knowing his love for us, um, and, and helping others do the same, right? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Wake us up, Lord. Wake up, right? Um, mm. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. I, uh, you know, in, in Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to the church, I believe it's Sardis, and he tells them to wake up, right? And these are Christians. So again, even as uh, 
even as Christians, we, you know, we, we often can just be asleep on the job, so to speak. And Father, I ask you to forgive us and have mercy on us. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to wake us up today. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Again, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus speaking in a way consistently that his disciples really don't understand. You know, in uh, my wife's verse of the year, my wife May's verse of the year is Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And so consistently, as our, uh, my brother Tom said in Bible study on, uh, on Tuesday, Jesus is consistently speaking in a way that, that's, that's trying to, to help us to really reorder our thoughts and our thinking. He's trying to really, you know, change the way we think and help us to, 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 to really dig into his words and consider his words and think about his words. If he just said everything plainly, then his words, right, are, are, they're still the word of God. But when we have to think about it and consider it, the things he's saying, right, we have to dig into it and meditate on it. And obviously when we chew on his words, to understand them more deeply, we get more benefit from them. But again, it does seem like oftentimes in our lives, we just, I don't know, it feels like I can't get a straight answer, right? When we're going through difficulties or hardships, or we want to know the way the Lord is leading us, uh, you know, why, why Lord, can't you just, sometimes you just want him to throw you a bone, right? Sometimes you just want him to, to just give you the answer. We just, we generally just want it to be simple, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Okay. So, uh, you know, again, obviously Jesus wasn't in any way speaking about just him falling, uh, falling into natural sleep and getting it better as he sleeps. So <laughs> the disciples think that Jesus is saying he's sleeping and I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples are saying, well, Lord, don't wake him up because if you, you know, if he stays sleeping, he'll, he'll get better, right? Because when we sleep, we'll get better. So you're going to, you know, it won't be good for you to wake him up. Um, I, you know, I, I do this, I don't want to say constantly, but it, regrettably, it is consistent in my life where, you know, somehow in my mind, you know, I think that, I mean, these disciples really thought that Jesus was going to do him the man a disservice. Jesus knows what he's doing, right? With the disciples, you know, and again, we, we all do this. We would have done it here. We do it in our own lives today. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better, right? So why would you wake him up, Lord, right? Because if he's sleeping, he can get better, right? You know, that'll help him. Jesus is not going to do the man a disservice, right? And they should have recognized that and understood that. And as and, and, and as should we. Often Jesus Christ is 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 working in our lives in a way that 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 we don't understand and is contrary to what you know we think is best, or most of the time what we think we know is best, right? Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant 
natural sleep. And again, um, how, how often in of our lives did we really think we had a situation figured out or we knew what the Lord was doing? And, you know, he, he kind of keeps us on our toes, right? He kind of keeps us guessing, so to speak, that we continue to pursue him and pursue relationship with him and dig into the word and dig into the scriptures. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Can you not remember testimonies in your own life? Where you thought Jesus was doing one thing, but he, but he really wasn't. And uh, things just didn't turn out the way you expected. Sometimes you're expecting things to turn out very poorly, and they, and they didn't. And sometimes you're expecting things to turn out in a way that you thought was going to be the best, and, and it didn't. Um, how many times have we thought something like the disciples? The disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And finally, in verse 14, so then... He told them plainly. Now, again, this is not something he often does. (coughs) Excuse me. But Lord, we we thank you when you tell us plainly. Lord, we do want to hear your voice plainly in our lives. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15 is a hard verse. So now he, you know, now he explains to them what he meant. Right, Corinne? So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But look at verse 15. I mean, this is an interesting verse. This is a, uh, it's a very powerful verse. And for your sake... I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus lets Lazarus die. He's going to go to Lazarus now. He's going to go to the tomb. He's going to raise him from the dead. Obviously, he could have gone and prevented him from dying. We said last time, you know, for Jesus to say, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I am glad. He just said he's glad that Lazarus is dead. Now, Jesus said that obviously knowing he knows everything, that he was going there to to raise him. But this is a horrible situation, right? For the sisters, Mary and Martha, they're grieved, they're burdened. When someone dies, we're, we're just, there's a grief that's unexplainable. It's the greatest grief in our lives when we lose someone that we know and love, right? Um, when we lose a close family member or a close friend, there's a grief. Why would Jesus say, and, and for your sake, I am glad? Whatever the griefs or the difficulties, or the hardships may, are in our lives. Jesus is aware of them. Jesus now says Lazarus is dead. Okay? So now, when he's saying this, Lazarus has already died. He's aware of it. He's aware of Lazarus's spirit going to paradise, right? Um. 
he, he knows what's going on, right? In the same way, Jesus knows, y'all, what's going on in our lives, right, Scott? He knows what's, he knows the details of our lives. He knows the difficulties. He knows the hardships. He knows the, the exciting things that are going on in our lives. But he is aware of them, but yet he, you know, he tarries here. He, he stays where he is, as we already read. Remember when it says he stayed where he was two more days? Um, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, right? And what was it like for Lazarus' sister, Mary and Martha, to get the news to Jesus and then for him not to show up? Not to show up till he's been dead four days. I mean, what was that like? I mean, imagine the difficulty and the pain and the hardship of Jesus just, he could have come. And we're going to see, right, that, that Jesus could have prevented the situation from happening, Right? Look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and how many, how many times in our life can we have said, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. He was aware of it. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. There is something so much more precious, right? You remember when, when Peter says that your faith, which is more precious than gold, is being refined. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. When you and I are going through difficulties and hardships, the Lord is aware of it. The Lord is right there. But the reason he allows it to go on is so that you and I may, may believe, that you and I might have our faith refined. The disciples already believe in Jesus, obviously, right? They're not far from his death now. They've been probably following him three years at this point, right? Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. And so when Jesus says, I'm glad Lazarus is dead, he obviously knows the outcome that we don't know that Mary and Martha don't know, that the disciples don't know. He knows that he will raise Lazarus from the dead, and that will cause many people to believe, as we'll see later, and to put their faith in him. And again, you'll see that this, this incredible faith, this, this, uh, you know, this incredible blessing of them seeing Lazarus come out of the grave and be raised from the dead is obviously going to strengthen their faith immensely, but he does it by allowing Lazarus to die. And oftentimes he has to allow the death of things in our lives 
so that resurrection life to, can come out of it, right? If, if Lazarus doesn't die, then certainly Jesus doesn't raise him from the dead after being dead four days, right? And we don't have this story in the Bible. And, and, and the, the massive benefit to this, this story, Chloe, right, cannot be overstated. The massive benefit of this account doesn't happen if Jesus doesn't allow, gladly, Lazarus to die. And, and, and that he has, obviously, that same foresight and understanding as he is omniscient, all-knowing in our lives. Your heavenly father, y'all, knows the end from the beginning. So when, when a trial or a hardship or a difficulty comes into your life, at the end of the day, it's so that your faith would be refined. As Peter tells us clearly, don't be surprised at this hardship you're facing so that your faith, which is more valuable than gold, right, um, will be refined. So, again, Jesus allows this hardship. Wasn't, you know, Lazarus was sick. He allowed him to be sick. He raised him from the dead. I mean, uh, you know, when we get to heaven, we might want to talk to Lazarus. What was that like? Because um, we don't know hardly anyone that's been dead. We hear people that have been dead for three minutes, five minutes, six minutes, and have come back to life. Four days, he's dead. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. He chose not to be there. It was deliberate, and it's the same thing in our lives. You want to, when we're going through something, we want to continue to press into Jesus. All right, Chris, press into Jesus more and more and more and more. And at the end of it, you'll begin to see the, the good that the Lord brought out of it, you know? And the more we walk with Jesus, the more we love him, the more we'll see and understand this. Romans 8, 28 says that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and the more devoted we are to Jesus, the more we love him, the more we'll experience that, the more we'll have eyes that see, right? You remember the beatitude, my wife's favorite, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The more pure you are, the more devoted you are to Christ in every way, the more you'll see him, the more you'll see God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the more you'll see and perceive, you know, all the different ways that he really is working in your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's a pretty incredible verse. We've all heard of the famous doubting Thomas, right? In, in chapter 20, um, Thomas was not with the disciples when they saw Jesus raised from the dead. He's with them a week later and he refuses. He's so He's so frustrated, and we can all relate to this. He's so bent. He's so irritable. He's so stubborn that you have these, these 10 guys telling him, we have seen the Lord raised from the dead. And Thomas said, I will not believe it. He appeared to you. He can appear to me. 
I will not believe it unless I can put my hand in his side, right? And see the nails in his hands, right? Matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read that um, in chapter 20. Verse 24, chapter 20. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where, where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. <laughs> yeah. You know, Thomas is again... Um, I did not know this as I was studying, but, but, you know, scholars say that Thomas was the one, you know, based on his name and, and other factors that, that looked the most like Jesus. I did not know that, um, that Thomas, the one we call doubting Thomas. And again, we see why he's called doubting Thomas here, um, was the one that looked the most like Jesus. So, so he would have been the one that potentially could have had the most, uh, you know, most persecution, because again, he's one of Jesus's 12 disciples. He looks the most like him. And so when the heat's coming, you know, when the, when the bitterness and the anger and the persecution comes, Thomas could very well be at the front of the line, right? To get it. Because again, he, he looked very similar to Jesus is what scholars say. Um, but you see the stubbornness in it. And then it says a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Then the doors were locked. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God, right? 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, Thomas demanded to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. The other 10 seen him and he demands. Now, Jesus, in an incredible mercy, does show himself to Thomas. Um, but you and I have not, right? And you saw Jesus there say to Thomas, you know, blessed are you because you've seen me and believe. How blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe? And obviously that's. That's all of us. So this is that Thomas, right? Now, this is obviously, we're back in chapter 11 before, uh, before Jesus' death and resurrection. In verse 16, when Jesus says, you know, let us go to him, you can see Thomas, you know, you can see some good qualities in here. Number one, Thomas just ready to be done with this. But you know what? I'm not going to let Jesus die alone, right? So you can see a courage in Thomas. You could see a, a devotion in Thomas. Now, you can also see a man that's at his end, right? Okay. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, let's just do this thing, you know? Um, and, you know, we're not going to let him die alone. And so Thomas, in certain ways, gets a, a bad rap, right? He, we, we've come up with this name, Doubting Thomas, which it could be any of us. I could be Doubting John, right? Doubting Stephen, um, doubting Kayla, right? But, uh, you know, all of us obviously have struggled with doubt. 
but we could see a devotion in this man Thomas as well that that rarely does he get uh, rarely does he get acknowledged for. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for the scriptures. Father, we ask you to seal this word to our hearts now. We just thank you for it. Father, I ask you to uh, to help us, Lord. I ask you to just to comfort us, Holy Spirit. I ask you to, to help us to grow in our faith and to refine our faith that when we are in struggles or difficulties and times where we just we don't understand why Jesus didn't show up, Lord, help us to understand that it is for our ultimate good that we too may, may believe in greater measure. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you. We thank you for your mercy on our life. We thank you that your timing is always perfect, Lord. And I ask you to help us, Lord, to wait on you and to wait on you, Lord, for you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Again, seal the message to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.